had no idea what I was going to share until about five o'clock tonight. And I really didn't even want to say anything like, you know, I didn't even want to preach, which is rare for me. And I say that tonight because I really believe I have a message from the Lord that definitely isn't from me. And having said that I didn't want to preach tonight, I don't want you to think that I don't honor this office because I do. It's always an honor to stand before the people of God and to speak to the bride of Christ. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. And I think many times we forget that is the case because we face many challenges in life. So many that my phone is always blowing up because of the prayer chain. It's just constant, constant assault upon life. The frustrator of our soul is always working in my life and yours, is he not? The Bible admits that the afflictions of the righteous are many. And that's what I want to speak about tonight, the afflictions of the righteous. And there are times where we feel anxious. There's times where we feel depressed. There's times where we feel completely overwhelmed by what is going on in our lives. And there's this, this constant assault from our adversary. He comes to those who put their trust, their future, their entire decision-making into the hands of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the enemy attacks you because he hates you. He attacks you because you're an image bearer of God. You have something in you that is worth attacking because you've been born again. You've got faith which he despises. You've got a new nature. You have a covenant with the king of the universe. A covenant which is unchanging and everlasting. And if you want to know more about it, just speak to Pastor Joe, because he has got quite a handle on this new covenant. But we have a relationship with somebody. You met somebody who totally changed your life. And that relationship has saved you from an eternal destiny in a horrible lake of fire, which we call hell. A place which the devil will be sent to. A place which was never made for man. You know, it's funny. We have all these strange ideas in our culture. Did you know that the devil does not rule hell? That is not his domain in which he is king. Hell was actually made as punishment for the devil. And one day he will go there, Lucifer and a third of the angels that rebelled with him against the Most High, will spend an eternity in that place. And all those who have also rebelled against the Lord and refused this new covenant. The human race has fallen. And the unredeemed will suffer the same fate as the rebellious angels. An eternity in hell. But not if you've been redeemed. Hallelujah. We don't have to go to that terrible place. You, like myself, may deserve to go to that place. But a precious lamb was slain on behalf of you and behalf of me. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise him. And because that sacrifice was made on your behalf, you're completely delivered from your just reward. We met the Lord, and we've been brought into a new family, a complete new race of people born of the Spirit of God. Nothing could be more glorious than that. Nothing at all. It's incredible. The richest men of the world, many of them today have just careless lifestyles. I've met them all over the earth. I've met the millionaires and billionaires. I've had prince, I've actually had tea with the princess of Jordan. And you know, all these people, you try to talk to them, and I was indoctrinated at a young age, and I actually believe that every single person on the earth has a God-shaped hole in their heart. I don't believe that anymore. Or at least not that they have the revelation of it. Because I've met so many wealthy people that love life. 
and they're not miserable. And they sleep well at night. And anything that even remotely starts to bother them, they just feed it with their endless piles of money. And they live these wonderful lifestyles, just satisfying every whim which their selfish heart desires. But I can guarantee you that one nanosecond in the flames of hell, they traded all to be delivered from that place of torment. Absolutely. Many are the afflictions of the righteous in this world, yet the Lord delivers them out of all of them. In this life, sometimes, but in the next life, surely. Hebrews 11 speaks of many who never saw the promise. They died in the faith, having never received what they were hoping for. And they're going on to an eternity that I cannot even begin to describe to you because it is just too wonderful for words. Other subdued kingdoms, they wrought righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the violence of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness they were made strong, and they waxed valiant in, fight, in their fights, and they turned to flight the enemies of foreigners. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and the time would fail me to speak of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and Saul and the prophets, and I could go on and on and on about what we see written in the pages of the book. But let me ask you a question. Someday, will your name be mentioned with those? We live in a howling wilderness called earth. Nothing in this entire world will help you to serve the Lord except for the church. Nothing. Nothing to help you serve God. In fact, every single culture on the planet is demonic. And it is created in a way, manipulated against man, to rob you of peace, joy, to rob you of relationship with the Lord, intimacy with God, so that you would never come to that place of rest. Name the culture, you'll find it. But, so where will your name be mentioned in glory? Will it be mentioned with these that we find in Hebrews 11? And we're all familiar with that. I love the Wednesday night crowd because you don't have to read every single verse of Scripture. You know, you can get to cover a whole lot more ground because this is like, this is a Wednesday night group. I love it. We face a lot of massive, I would say, difficulties. Even in speaking with some of you tonight. And just as Rachel was ministering tonight, I mean, she knows, you know, who doesn't? And watching you in the altars tonight, as Andrew was saying, just ministering to one another and praying for each other's children. And it's beautiful. Praise God for the church of the living God. Amen. A lot of us have terrible diseases which have been lasting for years. We've had destructions of marriages. Some of us have walked through the loss of reputations where we never gave up our integrity. But everything just turned against us. The circumstances of this life. There's just a constant assault upon our lives from the devil. And somehow, many times, we think that we have fragile lives. And we don't really understand how strong we really are. Wow. We forget that we're part of a new race. We forget so often that I belong to a completely different kingdom now. I have been born again of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. I'm not of this world anymore. You know, so many times overseas I'll tell the people, you can burn my passport. I've exchanged it for something so much more glorious than just being an American citizen. I'm grateful for the nation that I live in. I've lived in cesspools, horrible places around this earth. I'm grateful. I've literally gotten off the plane before coming back to this country and have kissed the ground. I'm grateful, but it's temporal. It's passing with the wind. And it's moving more and more to a greater corruption all the time. There was a king who lived many years ago. He had a lot of trouble. And his heart towards others was always good. 
He was kind to three different nations that lived close to his border. He'd shown them favor. He'd shown them kindness. He had blessed them abundantly, actually. But because he belonged to the king of kings, the enemy was against him and all of his people. And so these three nations repaid him and his people by banding together, joining the armies so that they would have the vast majority and decided to march upon this small little nation called Israel. They had one purpose in mind, to destroy everything living in that land, in that place. Do you feel like that at times? Does it feel like the enemy of your soul is just coming against you in such a way to destroy everything that's living in your life? And you just, you can't, you feel like you can't even get your head above water at times. And there's moments where we even go to the church and we find no relief. You turn to the scriptures and it seems like it's just any other book. Your prayer life just seems like you're speaking Your words are just falling to the ground. And when it comes to worship, you have no heart at all to be in the choir of praise. This king was terrified. Scripture actually tells us that. They were facing the impossible. He needed a plan. He needed to gather his generals together. He needed a decisive declaration to give to the people. Something had to be done immediately. But he had no idea what to do. He was so overwhelmed. Oh, I've been there with this man. I can't wait till I get to glory. Because I'm going to sit down with Jehoshaphat. And just speak about how our deliverer came. In the 11th hour. What does he do? He stands before his people. He pours out his heart to God in confession. And he waits upon the Lord. I was speaking to Felix tonight. There's a lot of cliches in Christianity. This life is so simple that children can actually understand it. And we, with our educations, our master's degrees, our bachelor's, whatever you have, your school of hard knocks degree, we somehow make things so complicated. The simple fact is that those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. I never made that up, folks. I'm just the newspaper man throwing it on the doorstep. Let's read from 2 Chronicles chapter 20 tonight. Very familiar passage, I'm sure. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20, while you're turning. Father, I just pray tonight, Lord, that you'd speak to every single one of us in our misery, in our difficulty, the challenges that we face, Lord. Lift our heads up tonight, O God. Let us see that our redemption is drawing nigh. Lord, I pray that we would leave this place encouraged and edified, Lord, and built up in you, God, knowing that you have not forsaken nor abandoned us, no matter how dark the times may be, no matter what the doctors have told us, God. You are King of kings, you're Lord of lords, and you are a good, good Father. And we give you the praise for it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with them some of the Menunites, they came against Jehoshaphat for the battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are at Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Who wouldn't be? And he set his face to seek the Lord. And proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might. So that none is able to withstand you. 
Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. And we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we're powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones and their wives and their children. That's the greatest wisdom that anybody could ever have right there. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right in your situation? Do we really, as Andrew was saying, just want Jesus? You can have everything else. You are my one thing. Is that the cry of your heart? When things get bad enough, boy, it sure does become the cry of your heart. Because you know nothing else will work. Nothing. It's amazing how the Lord puts us in these situations to reveal how great and mighty he actually is. Here's this this king. These are the people of God, y'all. And they're saying, we're in over our heads. We have no idea what to do, and we're just going to keep our eyes upon God. We're going to stand still. We're going to admit our confusion. We're going to put all of our eggs in one basket, the Lord. And we're going to trust him. And we're going to stand still and see the salvation of our God. We're not going to look for help in any other place. We're not calling to our allies over there. We're not trying to build this coalition of armies to try to defend ourselves. We're going to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This enemy of troops is surrounding them. The vultures are filling the sky, waiting to feast on their carcasses. And they just stand together before God. I've done that. And I have been called an idiot by the church. Nowadays, we get into a lot of trouble. Because when the enemy comes in like a flood, we panic. We feel guilty if we're not constantly proving to God that we're willing to do anything that he requires of us. And we forget so often just to stand still. And let the world humiliate you. We have so much pride. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't act this way. I shouldn't have to go through this. Where are you, Lord? Why do I have all this pain in my body? Why am I losing all this money? Why is my marriage just train wreck? Why is my family like this open tomb? In 2015, many of you know this story, but I'm going to tell it again. I faced absolute misery in hell like I'd never experienced before. My parents had, my dad flips houses for a living. And he lost, he had six houses going at the same time in 2007 and 8 when the crash happened. So he lost everything. I'd been overseas and I came back to the U.S. and I bought a double wide trailer for $70,000. And I was able to put 20 grand down and move into the thing. People have been play, paying, playing paintball in there. The electrical didn't work. It was an absolute wreck. 1969. And it looked like nobody lived in it since then. 
We stayed in that thing and we began to fix it up and we turned it into a palace, literally. I'll show you pictures. And uh, better home and housekeeping or something like that, they wanted to do a, a, a piece on it because of everything that had been done. And it took many years for my parents' bankruptcy proceeding to come before the court. I had bought the place on a contract right out of basically, you know, Craigslist. And nobody would lend me any money, no bank, so it was just made with the previous owner, and I was making payments. So we used a lawyer and no realtor to do the contract. Well, it turns out that the lawyer left one line blank on the contract. So when my parents' bankruptcy proceeding came up, I found myself standing in front of their lawyers. And they had all these questions about my house. And after they were done asking all these questions, they basically told me, look, we're going to take your house and uh, we're going to sell it to pay for your parents' bankruptcy proceeding because legally nobody owns it because one line was left blank. And so we're going to assert that your parents do, even though their name is on nothing. So we'll see you in court. So I talked to a lawyer. And they said, beg, borrow, or steal whatever they want. How much do they want to leave you alone? $70,000. Well, that's what I paid for the house originally, and I still owed 50000 on it. Couldn't get it refinanced yet because it was a 1969 double-wide trailer on paper still. Banks don't do that, folks. Beg, borrow, or steal the money, but pay it. Why? Because if this goes to court, your court fees will be $500,000. And you'll win, but it'll take you 10 years. Thank you, American justice system. And I asked the Lord, what do I do in this situation? And he never answered me. And I was going overseas, and we were training people. I can't say because of this is being recorded. But we were training people for some dangerous places in closed nations. And it was marvelous. And we prayed for this one man. He hadn't walked in three years, and God instantly healed him. And people were getting saved by, like, popcorn. We had a young man that got run over by a car right in front of the place where we were having our prayer meeting. People went out from the prayer. He was, they thought he was dead. People went out from the prayer meeting, laid hands on him. He was perfectly whole, made well, got up, got born again, joined our prayer meeting. I mean, unbelievable, just stuff that was happening every single day. It was amazing. And my whole life was a train wreck. And God's not answering me, but I'm praying for people and they're instantly healed. And I'm like, I'm, and this went on for two years. God never said a word. I was so dead. I'm just like, why is this taking place? And the day of my eviction was getting closer and closer and closer. And I was engaged to be married to a young lady named Hannah. She didn't know what was going on yet. Neither did her father, who had said, yeah, you can marry my daughter. So I went to the church where I was the chairman of the missions board and served there for 11 years and explained. And they said, this must be a problem with your financial stewardship. You've got a lot to learn, and there's no way we're going to bail you out of this. Like Paul said, it'll give him over to Satan, lest his soul be destroyed. That was a difficult pill to swallow. We were going into winter. We were living on the border of Canada. And these men had Airbnbs and summer homes that no one was staying in. And they're telling me, you're going to be homeless. We're not going to help. Can I stay in one of the classrooms at the church? No, that would be unfavorable because people in the church would wonder why you, the missionary, are living in the church building. We're not going to allow you to do that. Ministry that I was in at that time gave me a call one day and said, We really love you, but God has really spoken to our hearts, and we believe it's time for you to leave the nest. So we're finished. We don't want to ever hear from you again. But we encourage you to go and start your own ministry, son. And I was being groomed to take over that ministry and lead it one day. I'd given my whole entire life for it. Made a lot of sacrifices. So I had to go to my fiance and tell her, look, I've got 60 bucks to my name. And I'm about to be homeless. <laughs> she stuck with me. Unbelievable. 
Unbelievable. Amen. Praise God, Hannah. <laughs> we had to sell everything to move to Hawaii, which I am not a fan of Hawaii. I lived there for a lot of years. My parents married, and we always kind of had roots there. But there's a lot of difficulties associated with living on an island. And so we moved there, got married there, had a small little wedding, and we had nowhere to go after the honeymoon. And the pastor of our church, a wonderful man of God, said, I'm going to the mainland, to my denominations, having a conference. Would you guys house it for us? Because the last time we left, people broke into our home and stole all our food, because food's a commodity in Hawaii. It's expensive. So we stayed there. And then we stayed in another probably 30 houses over the next nine months, and we were in 40 states. As God moved us from here to here to here to here to here. And a few weeks into our marriage, my mom suddenly dropped dead, suddenly. Just, just like that. She wasn't feeling good on a Monday, and she died Wednesday night. All of her organs just shut down in, a, in two days. And then my dad had just lot. I mean, he was, he just couldn't handle the guilt of having this happen. It was his fault in his eyes of bankruptcy proceedings, taking my house and selling it at an auction. And then his wife dies, and he was just like, he was a wreck. And then about three days later, I got a phone call from my sister, and she said, my husband of 18 years just walked out on me for my best friend. And I started getting letters from churches that said, your prayers don't get any higher than the ceiling. The reason why you're having all of this trouble is because you are in some grievous sin that you've been hiding for years. Isn't that right? And the whole bottom just dropped. It was horrible. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Where's my deliverance, Lord? The Lord said nothing for months and months and months. And you can bet Hannah's parents were really happy about their new son-in-law now. Oh, I was popular with that family. And the Lord sent us places that we never dreamed of ever going. We saw people born again on the sides of the road. Saw people filled with the Holy Ghost in houses that we house at. We met a wonderful church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, along the road. That's how we got here. And there was a lot of sleepless nights, and then Hannah got sick three months into our wedding. And my precious bride, who was 20-some years old, is suddenly 80-some years old to this day, eight years later. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Where's my deliverance? God, I've served you. I've given up everything. I left a $150,000-a-year job when I was 22 years old to serve the Lord in full-time ministry. And make 20 bucks a month. If you're such a good, good father. If you're the one that opens doors that no man. How come all those doors are shutting in my face? How come everywhere I go people hate me and despise me and the church does as well? And we went into a church. We're driving across the USA and we stop into this church and we sit down and somebody comes up and before the service and they said, you're sitting in our spot. Move. I was like, wow, wow. Can't you see our names on the end of this pew? We gave a lot of money for this. We didn't go back. It was very, very difficult. That's what I'm getting at. Now I was crying out to God about this day and night and night and day. Let incense rise. Yeah, well, I was, I was freaking out. I was. I mean, I, there was a lot of tears and these, I did not sleep for a long time. A long time. And I was like 90% support, self-supported and tent-making in the ministry. It was difficult. Very difficult. And one day the Lord spoke to me, finally. And he said, I'm rescuing you. What? Rescuing me? You call this rescuing? I'm real honest with the Lord. You know you can be. Praise God. Rescuing me? 
What are you talking about? And that same week, somebody gave me a book of Hudson Taylor's sermons from his mission conference in England from like the year 1892. It was like this thick, you know. I'm like, I'm not going to read all those sermons. But I opened up the, page, the first page. The first sermon was five pages long. I thought I can handle that. It was called The Husbandman. And it's about how every single one of us is a vineyard. And God's going to come into our vineyard, Song of Solomon. He's going to start trimming things. Even those branches that just bear the most wonderful, juicy fruit. And it's low-hanging. You don't even need a, a ladder to get it down, you know. And the Lord's just like... So that you bear more. And that author, that preacher, was saying, where that blade makes a cut, makes the cross. And if you're unwilling to bear that cross, you're not worthy to be his disciple. And I didn't think I had any more tears to cry, but I did. Now so broken. Now so discouraged. I put my entire life savings into that house. I worked probably a good 12 hours a day for eight years on the thing. It was all just ripped away in a moment's time. And I never did anything wrong. My relationships with People were destroyed. My reputation was in absolute shambles. We were like a couple of drowned cats when we showed up here. Some of you remember. We were house-sitting for this one group of people, and they had this huge fish tank. I like fish on a plate. I don't like to watch them in an aquarium. And they're like, you can stay here for three months, but you've got to clean the fish tank once a week. I'm lazy. And so I just drained the water down to about two or three inches. You know, these are big fish. And they're freaking out. I took the castle out. I took some of the weeds out, you know, but not all of them. And it's a train wreck as far as the fish were concerned. But they're wet. You know, they're fine. But they're freaking out like me. And they're trying to dig down through the gravel to deeper water. And they can't do it. They're helpless. And they don't understand what this being from another realm is doing to them. This is the guy that feeds us. What is he doing to us now? And so I told them, I said, calm down. I'm just cleaning your fish tank. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm cleaning your fish tank. Whoa. I yelled that to the other room. Hannah was reading her Bible in the living room. Hannah, God just said he's cleaning our fish tank. You're crazy. I thought I was. I thought I was losing my mind because I was only sleeping like one or two hours a night for months and months and months. The stress of it all, you know, you do. You start to lose your mind. It's horrible. Absolutely horrible. We were never designed to live that way. Especially as born-again believers, we're supposed to come into this rest. It's for liberty's sake that you've been born again, right? Where's the deliverance? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Where's the deliverance? Cleaning my fish tank. Am I insane? The Lord would not give us another place to stay until the day before the people came home. That's how it worked the whole entire year. It's horrible. I didn't know what to do, you know? It's like, what do I, you know, it's one thing for me, I've, slept all over the earth in different places like i can sleep in the car but when you've got a brand new bride you can't ask her to do that she was sick we didn't know what was wrong church wouldn't help you know sometimes the lord's just got to get you to a place where it's just you and him it's just you and him why do we struggle to get there? Why don't we just live there all the time? That intimacy, the preciousness of his presence. How you love what you have in this world, but really just give me Jesus. 
That's all I really want and desire. Because I know in Him is the answer to everything. Everything. We got here. We thought, hot dog, we're moving to Louisiana. Miss Vicki was the first person we met. She's been a blessing in our life from that day till now. One of the most precious women I've ever met. And she showed us love and kindness when everybody else had abandoned us. And she was the hands and feet of Jesus to our life. And Jordan brought over, I don't know how many hundreds of dollars worth of food to the mission house where we were staying. And I was like, can I give you a hug? She's like, uh... 2015, we showed up here, and I had to meet with Lee once a week, because we were welcome to stay, but not forever, right? So what's God saying? When are you leaving? And so I'm meeting with him, and he would say every time we met, he's like, you remind me of Terry Fisher. And I'm like, who in the world is that? And it was really annoying, because <laughs> every time we'd meet, he's just pointing that out. And so I begin to complain to God about that. Lord, I'm sick and tired of hearing about this. Why does this, what's with this weird pastor always saying this to me? And so the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to call him. I want you to call Terry Fisher. So I did. I said to Lee, hey, can I get Terry's number? The next time he said, you remind me, yeah, Terry Fisher, man. I was like, can I get that guy's phone number? Sure, here you go. So I called Terry and I said, hey. And I told him what I just told you. I said, we're ministers. I don't know what in the world the Lord's having me call you for. He said, I do. We have our youth camp coming up in about one week. And the couple that was going to do it just called me and said, they can't make it. I don't have anybody. I said, yeah, you do. We're on our way. We didn't have the money to drive there. We got to say goodbye to this church. Trent had a broken neck at the time. And this church put $1,000 in our pocket when we said goodbye. Lee's like, bless them as they go. And we, from right here to those back doors, this church gave us $1,000 in cash. We had like maybe 250 bucks before that. So we started to drive and we got as far as Monroe and we got T-boned at 45 miles an hour. And that car that hit us ripped the front wheel off of our vehicle. Praise God for Subaru. I was able to drive it to the side of the road. Four-wheel drive, baby. Telling you what, those cars are amazing. So we get over to the side of the road, and I'm calling the church, this church. And I said, this is what just happened. Put me on the prayer chain. And some of you were calling me. Hey, do you need hotel points? Look, this is we can do this. We can do that. I'm on the phone to James Van Valkenburg when the tow truck got, got to us. And the guy pulled us, the rollback, pulled the car on the back of the truck, and I used to teach auto mechanics in Thailand, and I told the guy, I said, I can fix this hunk of junk, sir. I just need a place to do it in an auto parts store. He, he said, I'll take care of you, son. I was like, I bet you will. And that thousand bucks that was in my pocket was flying out. So we get in the truck, and we're driving, and we're driving, and we're driving, because we were probably 20 miles away from Bastrop, and that's where we were headed. And so... He leans over and says to my wife, I'm God's little helper. She had a concussion. She hit her head on the glass. So she was like, what in the world? I didn't hear it because I was on the phone to Lee at the time. We get to Bastrop. Any of you been there? When you drive from here up through to Arkansas... You pull out on that main road when you come out of that little thing. You get on the main drive there. You take a left on it. And probably, what, 200 yards down, there's a wrecking yard on the left side. Have you ever noticed it? And on the top of that thing, if there's a cross. And in 2015, the marquee said, the wrecking yard church where Jesus fixed broken lives. And that's exactly where he took us. And I don't remember who I was talking to on the phone that time, but they're like, how are you doing? I said, it's fine. Everything's fine. The church just showed up. So he put us in a bay. He's like, use any of these tools, son. We tore that thing apart. 
I gave him a list of auto parts. He put us in a hotel right across the street from our auto parts store. The next morning, got up early. We went out for two-for-one Sonic milkshakes that night. We went over to the parts store, got all the parts. We hitchhiked back down to the Wrecking Yard Church, had all the parts on that car by noon, driving down the road, take your hands off the steering wheel. All the, the steering arms were bent on that car. But that man had all these hydraulic rams, and he was like, let me, let me, I used to race cars, and I know how to fix all this junk. And he had all this hydraulic doohickeys, and he got it all bent straight as an arrow again. And we put it all on the car, and we're driving down the road, and take your hands off the wheel, and it never pulled to the right or left. It was just, the alignment was perfect. And I'm like, yeah, this is amazing. Unbelievable. Charles Wright was the man's name. I said, Mr. Wright, what do we owe you? He said, my wife and I were praying about that last night. And Jesus told us that your bill was paid at Calvary. And I mean, I broke into tears. And he told me, he's like, son, you better get in the car and get up to Wisconsin. Because those young people are waiting for you. We got there with an hour to spare. I'm terrified of youth. I don't know anything about youth ministry. I don't. Send me to prison. It's great. Youth ministry, I don't know what I'm doing. So I had no idea what to do. So I was just reeling raw with these kids. And I was telling them all about what was going on in my life. And some of them were getting ready to graduate. The best of kids. And they're like, we don't know what we're going to do. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. But let me tell you about what just happened yesterday. My God, we got TV. Look at the car. It was all smashed in on the side. I'm like, boys, get some hammers. Help me pound this thing straight, you know. And God was just providing for us. But still, there was no answer for what's coming tomorrow. There was no real deliverance. There was just provision in the moment. I had no idea where we were going to live. I had no idea what we were going to do. Now we're in Wisconsin. Are we moving to Wisconsin? Is that what we're doing? And Terry didn't know what to do with us. He's like, so Lee says that you guys want to be discipled somehow or... You know, we had been living in Asia for years, so we're wearing the elephant pants. And he's like, why are you guys always wearing pajamas? <laughs> we didn't mesh real well at that time. It was He was just like scratching his head. We were weird. We're still weird, right? <laughs> Some of you really think that. I know. <laughs> Praise God. In a good way. Well, we ended up at Chris and Ann Phillips' house. They were going someplace, and so Terry was like, can you house sit for these folks? Yes, we can house sit. We know how to do that. Do they got fish? No, they don't have anything. Just water the plants. Ah, praise God. So Wednesday night, we come home from church. We're in August now, 2015. We lost the house in December. Nine months later, something's going to give birth. Praise God. Nine months later, nine months of hell. Provision. Praise God for provision. But it's not enough for you when you're in the midst of all this turmoil. You don't just want all your needs met. You want out of the situation. You want the healing to come. You want your marriage restored. You don't want to just continue to kind of coast down the road. Where's the answer? Wednesday night we got home from church and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was sitting on their mantle. Hannah had never seen it. She grew up in a cult. She did. I said, you've never seen this? We're putting it on. We put that thing in. We ate the popcorn. It was great. Went to bed. I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I've got no pain in my body. I don't have to run to the restroom. Nobody's breaking in the house. But I'm wide awake. And I've learned that means time to talk to the king. So I got up and I went into the living room and I just began to pour my heart out to God. Lord, this car is a pile of garbage. I put five wheel bearings in the thing in the last month. Literally, I did. It would just eat wheel bearings. Bill, I don't know what was wrong with that thing. Bill told me, get rid of Subaru. What are you doing buying a Subaru? It's got four-wheel drive, man. Lord... All this stuff is going on. Hannah's sick. We don't know what it is. Dr. May tried to help, but he couldn't even figure it out. We got hardly any money. We've lost everything. I don't have the tools now for the trades I used to work in. 
The church has turned against us. We've met wonderful people along the road. You've done everything, but we are in the pit of despair. And I complained for an hour. And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, why don't you shut up and listen for once in your life? And I was like, really? Really, God, that's, that's your response to me? I'm fasting. I'm only eating two days a week. I'm so hungry for your presence, but I can't seem to find you. You're providing for us in miraculous ways, but it's just like when I was over in Asia. And all these people are getting healed and all this stuff is happening. But at the same time, there's no rest for my soul. Where's my deliverance? Where's my deliverance, God? Why don't you just shut up and listen? Wow. Really? Really? Nine months I've sought you. You have said nothing except for riddles and puzzles about fish tanks. You told me that you're rescuing me only to send me on a wild goose chase all across this planet. And then my mom dies and all this horrible stuff happens and I don't even have anybody to talk to about any of this. My wife's losing her mind. and We get hate mail constantly from people. You claim to be a minister? Where are you? And now I'm bearing my soul to you and you just say, why don't you shut up and listen? Speak to me, oh great Oz. I mean, really, that was my attitude, shamefully, towards the Lord. And I tried. I really did. I tried, CJ, to hear the voice of God, and I couldn't do it. The only thing I could see was Dick Van Dyke dancing and singing the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang songs. Seriously. And that was like, that was the end for me, you know. I was like, Lord, I'm the worst Christian in the world. I mean, all pride is gone now. It's stripped. Everything's so, everything's gone. Sometimes that's where he's got to get you. If we would just live before him in that way, we'd hear his voice. I did that night, but I didn't understand. And the Lord said to me, why don't you call the guy that bought your house and ask him how much he likes it? I didn't know if it was really God. The next day I did. I thought it was the craziest thing I'd ever heard, but I was instantly exhausted, and so I just went to bed. But when I woke up in the morning, that thought was right there. I grew up in a one-horse town. So I called a realtor, who I know very well. Can you get me the number for the guy that bought my house? That's illegal! And she texts me the number. <laughs> Praise Jesus. So I called the guy. Hey, I'm the previous owner. How do you like the house? He says, I'm from Oceanside, California. And I bought this house to give to my daughter who lives in this horrible town. Because 30 years ago, I divorced her mama and I treated her and her mother like trash. And now I'm 80 and I'm about to die and I want to make things right. But she doesn't want the house. She won't speak to me. And this was the biggest mistake of my life. I said, I want the house back. You want to sell it? I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This house is on the west, northwest coast of America. He said, yeah, this is Thursday morning. Come have dinner with me Saturday evening. Okay. I didn't tell him where I was. I hung up the phone. And that's exactly what I was doing, Sarah. I ran. Hannah, pack the car. Let's put another wheel bearing in this thing. Let's go. And we were out of there. Called Terry. We're leaving. He, he was like, who are these weirdos? You know, they're, <laughs> praise God, they're getting out of here. And so we left. And we drove. And we got there in time. 
And we went to sleep in a, in a barn. Someone gave us a barn to sleep in. It was August. So I went and met with this guy. Hannah couldn't go. She was too sick. She stayed in the barn. And we had dinner together in the house. And I was like, oh, man, you know. And he said, so what is your, what's your idea? And I said, well, this is my idea. This is how much I can afford a month. This is what I can put down. And I can refinance this thing in such and such time. And he listened to that. This 80-year-old man, he was dying. He was sick. Real sick. He looked like he was on death's door. And he said, I got a better proposition for you. Why don't I give you the house for free? And then I pay you all your utilities, including your internet, for the next two years. Sorry? Yeah, why don't I just do that? Not born again. Do you know the wealth of the wicked stored up for the just? So we went down Monday morning, and he signed that thing, lock, stock, and barrel, over to us. And I went to bed that night, tears running down my face, because my deliverer had come. And I was reminded of cleaning a fish tank and taking a castle out, only to clean everything up and put that castle right back in again. Fish never understood what was going on. They didn't like the atmosphere or the environment that they were put in for a season. Neither did I. But I met a wonderful church. I met friends that I believe will last for eternity. And God gave me a testimony of the greatness of who he is and the depth of his love. He never had to do any of that. We sold that place for over $300,000. It wasn't a cheap house. That allowed us to come down here and buy a home debt-free, which we have to do because of we're full-time in the ministry. What situation are you in? You have afflictions? You wonder where your deliverer is? Nobody understands. You've done nothing wrong. I know what that's like. So does the Lord. The greatness of his love for you is that he knows the end from the beginning. And so he has no problem cleaning your fish tank and allowing you to sit in a situation where you think you're so frail and you have no idea how strong you really are. You don't know the testimony that's going to come out of this. Perhaps here in this world, but surely in the world to come. Do we live like Jehoshaphat? Do we get our eyes on the Lord? Or are they just on every single problem that we find in our life? What consumes you? What keeps you up at night? Are you like me? That was so destroyed because of what was happening in my circumstances? Or do you stay up at night just worshiping the Lord because you want to get in his presence? Because you love him. And it's well with your soul. Are you in a situation that's tearing your life apart? How's your marriage? What's going on with your kids and your finances? 
How's your physical body holding up? Is the disease really overwhelming you? Has the death of a loved one left you depressed and lonely and empty? Have you come to the place where you're able to say, I don't have any other options, Lord. My eyes are on you. Just give me Jesus. That's the goal. That's where we should live at all times, y'all. I've learned that. We still face many difficulties. But because of what the Lord has taught us, there's no pain in it, only frustration. There's no sleepless nights because of worry and anxiety. So I encourage you today, the musicians, if you come, that you'd let your heart be still. And you'd realize how strong you really are. That the Lord will not forsake you. He surely will never abandon you. And though you may not see your deliverance in this life, you will see it in the life to come. I'm not living for this world, folks. It is passing with the wind. But you've been invited into a covenant that allows you to live for a different world. And the Lord may come through for you like he did for me and give you a testimony to share with others and to encourage and edify the body of Christ that he's not through, that he's just cleaning a fish tank. And at some point when the time is right, when everything's put in its proper order, the castle's coming back, the weeds are coming back, the water's going to fill up again. It really will. I know some of you are sitting in this place tonight with a lot of burden. Some of you are sitting in this place tonight with a lot of pain in your physical body right now. I've got a wife that can't even be here tonight because of what's going on. But this world is not my home. Peter summed all of this up by just saying, Lord, to whom else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Micah said, therefore, I'll look unto the Lord and I'll wait for the God of my salvation because he's going to hear me. And speaking of the righteous, Psalm 112 verse 7 says, they shall not be afraid of evil tidings because their heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and wait upon his God, because I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread, because we have been brought into a new family, y'all. You really are the bride of Christ if you've been born again. And if that's the case, you know, the Lord spoke to me one night when I was crying out to God about all of this, and I was like, Lord, I need to provide a place for my bride. He said, you feel that, don't you? I said, oh, I do, Lord. He says, yeah, me too. And I'm preparing a place for you, but it's not here. It's not here. It's too wonderful, y'all, where we're going. Don't allow the temporal to get you discouraged because we're living for the eternal. And the deliverance is coming that is beyond my ability to describe to you tonight going to get a brand new body. Store up treasure in heaven where the moth never gets to it and the rust never comes in and no thieves can ever break in. We're the most privileged people on the planet. We've got a Savior that gave His life for us, called us His own, and 
and he has said, Thou art mine. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. This is so personal. How's your intimacy? Get your eyes in the right place. For it doesn't matter what comes. Though hell or high water come upon my life, I can tell you one thing. I know where my name is written. It was spoken tonight that my name is engraved upon the hands of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Would you stand with me? And would you worship him tonight? all of your heart, even though you're facing difficulties, even though there's challenges, you don't know the way out, even though you don't have the money to fulfill what's being asked of you, you don't have the wisdom that you need in this moment, there's so much pain in your body, you don't even want to come to the altar, but would you come anyways and just worship the king, worship the lamb, worship the lover of your soul, he's just cleaning your fish tank, folks, and it's going to be all right.